0: All right, guys, well, hey, welcome. So glad you guys are here. And uh, I love what Zach said about just waking up after a long week and just feeling so excited to gather with God's people. I can tell you that Zach is being honest. He does look forward to gathering together. And I tell you what, this morning I woke up and I was excited to see you, uh, to be loved by you, to be encouraged by you, and hopefully to do the same towards you. And uh, this week has been a long week for me as well. And I think for a lot of you guys, maybe you're coming out of some, uh, some weeks um, or some seasons or some things and there's maybe some things that you're thinking about right now that are just been weighing you down and you've been wondering about and, and it's been hard to trust the Lord in and you've been trying to fight to do that. And so with that acknowledgement, whether you're coming in excited or you're coming in, you're feeling kind of worn out, beat down, whatever the case may be, uh, let me just start with prayer, okay? Because we need the Lord this morning, and, uh, and I'm excited that we can get in a word together. So, well, Father, thank you that you see us. You don't see just the us, you see each individual person clearly and lovingly. I thank you for how your word constantly reminds us that you would go to great, extraordinary lengths to rescue and redeem us. And God, I just ask for your forgiveness because I am so prone to forget the gift of the gospel. I'm so prone to think of something that happened 2,000 years ago as being past and not living in the gospel in the present. Would you help me to be faithful, to encourage my brothers and sisters, to love? And God, would you, through your spirit, pour out mercy, grace, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control into our hearts. Grow us. We want to be your people. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I'm going to be, this is the third time I've taught this weekend. And one of the times that I taught, I taught for three hours. And some of you are in this room. We had 33 people at our membership uh, course on Saturday, which is amazing. Um, And some of you are in here, and I would say you have a glutton for punishment. You listened to me for three hours, and then you came to have to listen to me again. I feel so bad for you. Um, But this is the third time I've taught in the last, like, four days, and so I'm going to be doing a lot of reading from the paper so that I don't lean in my tiredness on whatever emotionally can get vomited out of my mouth. Does that sound like like a good idea? That sounds like wisdom. All right, so that's what I'm going to do. Here's what i to tell you. One of the things that I've noticed about myself, I've noticed about our culture, I know about you guys is we struggle with authoritarianism. Does anybody in here just love authoritarianism? Like anybody in here thinking, man, like you know what America needs? Hitler. No. Is anybody here thinking, man, oh, you know what America could use right now? Mao. Like we need oppression, you know? Nobody likes authoritarianism. But in our hatred for what truly is wrong with authoritarianism, Sometimes we lump in an allergy, right, a hatred for just authority in general. My generation, the millennial generation, is well known for that, right? Hey, hey. We do not like authority. We do not want people telling us what to do. And uh, we think all authority is bad. And just the word authority is like a cuss word in the culture, But the ironic truth about authority is that ultimately people really do like authority. We like authority, but only when we are the ones wielding it, right? Everyone loves authority when it belongs to them internally. It's yours rather than to someone else externally. We are fine with authority when we are exercising it, but don't like it when others exercise it over us. We're fine with authority uh, when we possess it, but uh, but not when we feel like others outside authority possesses us. We are fine with authority when we are in control, but when we are not in control, we feel like we are being controlled. All right, be honest with yourself for a moment. Do you resonate with that? Does your flesh who you are, just like, man, that, I, you know, I'm kind of like that. I really don't like people telling me what to do. In fact, if they would just trust me and let me do me, it's gonna go pretty well for me. But the problem with the human heart is that we want to play God. We wanna be God. Human beings, we use and abuse the authority given to us to uh, achieve our own selfish desires. But the reality is we need Authority over and in our life. An authority that is fatherly, Christ like, and cruciform. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We need authority. So, Paul, we've been tracking, if you've been with us, we've been in 1 Corinthians 1 through 3. We did the first half of 4, and now we're finishing chapter 4 and the first major section of Corinthians. And after addressing the divisive culture within the Corinthian church that was a result of their unhealthy infatuation with themselves and their self-advancement and their own authority. Rather than humbly living in loving submission one to another, they exercise authority over one another. Say, who are you to tell me? But Paul now is calling them to an earthly example of authority, namely, himself. And so Paul's going to show us and he's going to express to us a uh, filial love, a father-like love for his children, and he's going to call them to listen. So three things we're going to see is we're going to see a fatherly admonishment, number one, okay, a fatherly admonishment. We're going to see a fatherly example, all right, and then we're going to see a fatherly accountability, fatherly admonishment, fatherly example, fatherly accountability. Are you guys Ready? You ready to find out that you need somebody to have authority over you? No, you're not. You're like, they're like, man, I came on the wrong Sunday. Who are you to tell me? Well, let's go to 1 Corinthians 4, and let's let scripture tell us rather than Greg, okay? 1 Corinthians 4, 14 and 15, this is what it says. I do not write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. All right. When you think of admonishment, what do you think about? You probably don't, some of you probably don't have positive thoughts when you think about being admonished. Maybe you grew up in an abusive home and the admonishment was harsh far more physical and far less loving and fatherly. Or maybe you grew up in the church or church culture and uh, you felt the familiar sting of legalism. Hey, don't you do that. Don't you do this. You better not be like those heathens. And the admonishment was more to shame you than it was to lovingly encourage you into love and good works. No matter what you experience, I think a lot of us, we think about admonishment and it's kind of a trigger for us. It triggers lots of emotions and feelings and history and thoughts. But admonishment simply means to warn or reprimand someone firmly, okay? Just warn and reprimand somebody firmly. Can you think of a time in your life where somebody's warning or stern reprimand would have helped you out? And guys, we might need to turn down my mic just a little bit because it's kind of feeding back. Anybody in this room say, yeah, there was a time in my life I wish somebody would have come and told me. Anybody? Okay. My problem is trying to tell you which time because there's been so many times that I was like, man, I wish somebody would have told me that I was being an idiot. Perhaps a good example is when a father quickly and aggressively pulls his son out of the street in the middle of oncoming oncoming traffic, right? I think our culture would say, you should let that child choose to do what they want to do. Let him do what he wants to do. He's just trying to be free. But if a father were to adopt that kind of mad thinking, he would not be a father at all. At best, he'd be a dangerous fool. At worst, he'd be a murderer. It's not loving, but it is loving to snatch that boy, admonish him, take him. Maybe spank that child, Like, hey, let me tell you, you are in danger. It's not a hot take to say the spank either, just so you know. I know I'm in Cody, so I can get away with this. I'm gonna give you some scripture, all right? I'm gonna give you some scripture, don't worry. Here's the thing is, when we look at scripture, we look at admonishment, and we got to ask, where is Paul getting his example for admonishment? And I'll tell you right now, Paul's getting it from Jesus. He's getting it from God. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. It's going to be on the screen. I want you guys to read along as I read. Because I want you to let this scripture sit into you so you can see how your God feels about you. It says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? my son. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are an ill. uh, Then you are an illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful, amen, rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Four things I want you, I want to pull out of there real quick to take with you to hear and see. Number one, God didn't just justify you in the gospel, which praise Him for that, right? You're not guilty. But He also says in Scripture that He has adopted us. He's adopted us. And if you've been adopted, Lady, you're a daughter of God. And if you've been adopted man, you're a son of God. And that makes us brothers and sisters. We're a family. So he is treating us like sons. If he didn't discipline us, what did he say? Then we're not sons. Because he disciplines those he loves. And why does he do it? He does it for our good. He does it for our good. Does it always feel good? No. Fourth thing discipline is painful, but it produces peaceful fruit of righteousness. It's such a weird thing to say. The peaceful fruit of righteousness. There has never been a time that I've spanked my kids and it was peaceful. Not once. It's always been hysterical. Um, And so that's God's example And that's where Paul gets his example from. So Paul's example is through the gospel, Paul became to them like a spiritual father in the faith. And what Paul means by this is not that they should look to him as their father. Truly, God is your father, guys, look to him. But what he means by that, Paul is like their father in that he was the one who brought them the good news of Christ crucified. Praise God for the men and the women who brought us the message of Christ crucified. Okay, And then by God's grace, we received it by faith. And we have new life. We became sons and daughters of the living God. And though they were adults, the Corinthians, though we were adults, they were like children in the faith, okay? They had been living in the spiritual womb of darkness. But then when light breaks through and they begin to see the world in a whole new way as children of God like you did, suddenly they needed an example to follow. Right? Like our children. They needed somebody to show them how to talk, how to walk, how to take the spoon from the bowl to the mouth. How hard can that be? Just go to your mouth, not the floor. Come on. That's a joke. Maybe those of you who don't have kids, you don't know what I'm talking about? Okay. So through the gospel, they began to see Paul. And Paul was their first example of what it looks like to walk in the faith. And so uh, he was who they looked to, their first Person to love them in the faith. And like all good fathers who love them, he wanted them to do nothing but grow and flourish. That's what a good father does. And this is what all good authority wants for those who they are privileged to lead. And this means cheering them on when they take their first steps. And it means admonishing when they step towards something that is dangerous, into sin. Do you understand? That's what a good father does. That's what good authority does. Proverbs 13, 24. Daddies, here's you a verse. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but whoever loves him is diligent to discipline him. Is diligent to discipline him. All right. Uh, Only as a result, check this out for Paul. For Paul, it's only as a result of receiving from Jesus a self-giving, self-sacrificing authority that Paul can approach the Corinthians. He's got an example in Jesus. And he does so with a combination of several things. Because going and uh, not sparing the rod with your son, doing it with just pure anger and aggression, is also wrong. But in the gospel through Jesus Christ, we see a combination that is healthy and right. A combination of boldness in humility, not like a boss, but like a father, not as a demolisher, but as a cultivator and gardener. And good gardeners know sometimes things need to be cut back. The cross is where mercy and justice, truth and love, strength and meekness, boldness and humility, durability, but yet delicacy it's where they all meet together to provide a healthy form of authority and leadership. Do you not long for that? Have you ever suffered under the leadership that was purely one side or purely the other? I tell you what, what does this look like locally? Well, it cannot look like Proverbs 27, six, the first half. It says this, Proverbs 27, six says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of the enemy. A wound from a friend when it's faithful and it's filled with love, it's good for us, right? It should be to bring flourishing. But you know what's terrible? People just saying like, no, you're good. Petting you. I don't need you to pet me. I need you to help me. How many people have been petted all the way to hell? Hey, that's okay. You could do that. No big deal. Don't let anybody tell you that. Right? No, good admonishment is helpful and it's meant for flourishing. It's meant to build us up. And I tell you what, I need some faithful friends. Anybody want to wound me? When you see it, some of you are like, I just want to wound you just because I want to. All right? And then maybe I'll have to faithfully wound you back and say, hey, that wasn't helpful, you know. Um, But I don't want you just to kiss me. Who kissed Jesus before he betrayed him? Judas. Judas. It would have been great if somebody admonished our brother before he did so. But God knew what he was doing. So here at Outpost, the leaders of Outpost, which let me clarify, is every single member of Outpost. We're called, all of us. Because all of us agree that we want to be members of one another. We're all called to be authority to one another. And the way that we exercise that authority is through love and kindness, boldness and gentleness, speaking the truth in love. That's what we are called to do. And so Paul, when he's looking at the scripture, he's saying, guys, I- I'm coming to you as a father and I- I- I'm going to admonish you. I'm not trying to bring you shame. I'm trying to bring you flourishing. Do You understand? And as members of one another, our goal should never be to shame somebody. It should be like, hey, I want to see God's best in you. I want to hold you accountable to becoming the man or woman that you say that you want to be in Jesus. And we all want that. I hope you want that. I want that. And so Paul then turns in verses 16 and 17 and say, hey, let me give you an example. He's like, I've been to you an example. Verse 16, I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in the church. Oh, I love this Father's example. Um, uh, A couple weeks ago, my family was on Disney Plus and we were watching. I think is is it is it National Geographic that's on there? That's what it is. And we were watching this thing about whales. I know it sounds boring. It was super interesting. Olivia hated it. I loved it. I'm totally a dad now. Apparently. And so we were watching, and one of the episodes was about the orcas, the killer whales, which I had no idea. They're the most dangerous creature in the ocean. Did you know that? I thought you could swim in those things. I don't want to be near those things. They're so dangerous. But they're also brilliant. God has given them such a brilliance as a creature that is astounding. There is a family of killer whales. I think they're down around South America. Praise God, not anywhere in the beaches that I've gone to. And, but these killer whales have learned how to hunt on the beach. Okay. Uh, what? And so what they do is these packs of seals will be down playing in the water like seals do because they just look so cute and playful. And what they don't realize is these uh, killer whales have learned how to ride a wave in, burst out, get a seal, and then wriggle their way back into the water. It's insane do you know how big a killer whale is? They're gigantic. And, uh, but what was most amazing, that's amazing. What's most amazing is how they teach this tactic to the younger killer whales. They showed you a grandmother killer whale teaching the young ones how to do this. Check this out. She would go get seaweed, pull it out, and put it near the beach, but not so close that they had to get on there so that these killer whales can get used to going, riding a wave, and getting the seaweed to pull it out until they're ready to chomp one of these little seals. That's amazing. Holy cow. In the faith, we need examples to show us how to walk out the way. And some of us have had some really good examples. And I'll tell you what, good examples... Uh, come in two different forms, two different forms. Either uh, they come in the form of, hey, follow me as I follow Christ, right? And there's some of them, it's like, uh, don't follow me in the way that I don't follow Christ, right? And so great examples in the faith, like Paul. Paul's not saying, hey, I'm a perfect guy. In 1 Corinthians 11, he's gonna say, follow me as I follow Christ. He's not saying, hey, I'm perfect, do everything I do. Because even when I am not following Jesus, look at the way I handle myself, humble myself, confess my sin, pray for one another, do this together and acknowledge my weakness and then continue to pursue Jesus. But he says, follow me, you have an example in me. Philippians three seventeen says, brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Philippians 4, 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul's saying, guys, look at the way I live. It's not the way you live. Live the way I live. So in 1 Corinthians 3, what has Paul been asking them to do? Well, he says this. What Paul expects the Corinthians to imitate in him are those things that will end the boasting and factionalism in Corinth. I hope you guys have been paying attention to that because we have it here in Cody, in severity. They are to welcome being regarded as fools for Christ. Are you welcoming that into your life? To be weak and dishonored. They are are to recognize that all that they are and all that they have has been a grace gift from God. And that they, they are not inherently extraordinary like they think they are. They are to think of themselves as more of field hands, servants of Jesus, they're to rid themselves of all the resentments and rivalries with coworkers so that they can toil together as God's people in God's field. They're to resist passing themselves off as wise and elite by using lofty words of power of God, uh, and instead just lean into walking out their faith in weakness and in fear and in trembling and in kindness and in humility and grace and love. That is what Paul has been doing for 1 Corinthians 1 through uh, 4. But they've been doing the complete opposite, making much of themselves, how great they are, how wise they are, their lofty language, their, you know, their theology. And he says, look at me, guys. I know theology better than all of you. Look at the way I live. You need an example in me. But here's the great, cool thing. the Corinthians had great examples. They had Paul, they had Apollos, they had Peter, they had Jesus. Super amazing. Great examples. But somehow they still kind of missed it but when you follow really good examples, you know what happens? You become an example. And this is where in the American church, things break down. Because we have bought into the idea that our whole job is just to follow examples. And we never turn around and realize that there are men and women who are looking to us to set the pace, set the course to follow Jesus. And Timothy right here is the example. He says, that's why I sent you Timothy. I want you to follow my ways. That's why I sent you my bro Timothy because I entrusted him and I know that he knows how to do it and now he's going to remind you and he's going to show you how to do it. You don't need me. you got Timothy. Follow him now as he follows Christ. Let him help you out. Isn't that cool? That's the way it's supposed to be. 2 Timothy 2 verse 2 it says this. This is Paul writing to Timothy, right before Paul's going to die, he tells Timothy, Timothy, the things that you've seen and heard and and, and, and seen in me, uh, practice these things and teach them to other faithful men who can then teach others. What Paul's saying is four levels of discipleship. He goes, there's Paul, who's trying to follow Jesus, who passed it on to Timothy, he says, Timothy, you go find faithful men who can then teach other people, Right? Friends, I'm telling you right now, have you turned around to look and see that there are men and women, sons and daughters, who are looking to you to set the direction? Do you realize there's people in your neighborhood who are begging for someone to show them the way? And and we buy into this lie that we gotta take him to a pastor. Well, call, call Greg. Don't call me. Why do they gotta call me? They can call you. You live next door. Friends, I live across the street from Ballard Funeral Home and every single week I watch multiple people who've died get celebrated and mourned and they're your neighbors, not mine. How many of them would have been like, man, it would have been sweet to have a great example of the way so they could at least make a clear decision of whether or not they want to follow the Christ that you follow or not. How many people have died and did not have that opportunity in this city alone? Man, how many of them have only seen divisiveness, factionalism, boasting, pride, arrogance, competitiveness, rather than Great authority that says, hey, this is the way I'm following Christ. Being great examples to others as they seek to try to follow Jesus. We need that kind of authority in the church. We need to be a group of people who have authority. uh, And we need to be people who follow good authority. And hold authority account to being Christ-like. And the way we do that is through fatherly accountability. Look at verse 18. I love this and I hate it. Verse 18, Paul says, Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod, that's a nod to the proverb, or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Paul is telling these guys essentially, hey, I'm coming, and I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm hearing these things, but I'm going to come and see them. And I'm not so much concerned with what you say, I'm concerned with the way you live, and I'm concerned to see fruit in you. Con- uh, fruit that is only a result of the powerful work of the kingdom, not through talk. Right? 1 John 3.18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. How I wish I had more examples of people who showed me how to love. Because guys, I stink at loving well, at loving God and loving others. I need accountability. Uh, my daughter needs accountability. Uh, we ask uh, our daughter often to clean her room. My daughter is such a mess. Um, and I love her to death. She is so beautiful. You guys have met her. You've probably heard her talk. If you haven't, you, then you've never met her. Um, and so my daughter, this, she has this thing she does. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. Where I say, hey baby, go clean your room. She goes down, she cleans your room. She comes back 20 minutes, which if you see her room, it should take a longer than 20 minutes. She comes back up and she's like, all right, I'm done. I'm like, it's done? Uh, all right, let's go see it. no, 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 it's good, it's clean. I'm like, sweet, well, let's go down there. Let's go check it out. And uh, let's go see this thing. And, and you can just see it in her eyes. She's being held accountable. I'm going to come and see. Lord willing, I'm going down those stairs, and I'm going to see this thing. Get down there. And my daughter, it's amazing what she can pack in her closet. You walk in, and you're like, oh, it does look clean. All right, all right. What the? What is this? And there's no door on her closet. It's just like, like I mean, she's just like uniquely placing things to get them in that closet. And... Uh, Far too often in the church we do the exact same thing. And we don't want people to be in our lives close enough to be able to see what we're hiding in our closet. But you will never be an example of the faith. You will never be able to faithfully admonish if you never allow people to faithfully come in and be accountability to you. Friends, it's a beautiful thing. It's a very beautiful thing. And where this happens is in our community groups. My community group, I allow others to... Uh, be a part of my life. And there's not a room inside of my heart that they're not allowed to go to. Now, are there rooms I don't want them to go to? But there's no rooms that they're not allowed to go to. And it has only led to my flourishing. Some of you, you're walking in your faith. You think you're doing all right because you're reading your Bible, you're doing all these things. And as soon as people get close enough, you say, hey, ooh, that's enough. That's enough. That's close enough. I just need you to trust that my room's clean. I just need you to trust me. I just need you to trust that I am a righteous uh, follower of Jesus. Just trust. I I, I don't need, I don't need that accountability. This doesn't really work for me. And I'm just telling you right now, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It needs to be a trust because there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Did you know that? Proverbs 15, says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. I need faithful fatherly accountability in my life at all times, every single day, every single day. And so do you. And I know that you struggle to trust human beings, but I'm asking you to first and foremost, trust Jesus. In John 13, verse 3, Jesus is in the upper room and he's with the disciples that he loves. He loves them. And in verse 3, it says this, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, and was going back to God, rose up from supper. It's saying Jesus, recognizing that he has all the authority in all the cosmos if there's anyone we must listen to, if there's anyone we must serve, if there's anyone we must bow down to, it's this man, Jesus. But you know what he does after right this verse right here? Verse three. What happens in verse four should shake the world. It says this. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. That's the greatest authority in the world. Right there. He has all authority in the whole world. He has authority over you. But yet, he strips off his clothes to do house slave work for you. Because he loves you hey, your community group may not love you like Jesus. And you may not love them well like Jesus. And your pastor may not love you like Jesus. And the outpost Leadership Team may not love you like Jesus, but Jesus loves you like Jesus. And he wants to show you that love. He wants to admonish you He wants to put put people in your life to hold you accountable so that you might flourish in ways that you never dreamed possible so that you could be example to others that Jesus is that good. Friends, you have authority. God has entrusted to you an ability to show others the kindness and goodness of God. We don't have to beat them with rods. We show them the love of Jesus. And we do that in the church by God's help. Let me pray for you. Father, there is no way that I could do what you did. And I think all my friends in here recognize that in me and in themselves. I pray that you would help us out. We have had poor examples of leadership and authority in our lives. But it doesn't mean that you do not want to use your church who loves you and submits themselves to you to help build us up. I pray your church and myself first and foremost that we would humble ourselves before you and ask for your forgiveness in the ways that we have not led others towards your love and kindness. Forgive the leaders in this room. We are weak. But God, I pray that every man, woman, and child in this room who calls on Jesus Christ as their Lord would recognize that if they follow you, they're gonna be worth following. So Jesus. Help us follow you. I pray that in the name of the only son, authoritative God, Jesus Christ. Amen.